say hello. Give us a heart, you know, if you're there. Um, I wanted to do a quick, if you don't know, my name is Becky. I'm one of the pastors here at church. I also wanted to give you guys a little update regarding pastor. If you had missed Pastor Angela and Pastor Andy's video, pastor had surgery um, this week and um, I checked in with him and I've checked in with his wife, DJ. He is actually doing really, really well. Surgery went great. He is healing. Yes, yes, yes. It is all good things, answers to prayer. So would you continue to just be praying for him? Um, he will be back as soon as possible. Um, but they just wanted to let you know that things went really well, better than expected. And so we're just thrilled for him and believing that this is the continued journey for healing for him this side of heaven. Amen. Um, so why don't you stand with me? Because we're going to get right into worship. I'm really, really excited. It's going to be a good day. We've decided yesterday in all of our uh, ministry leaders chats and stuff, we are expectant and so excited. Today is going to be such a good day. Today is going to be a divine day. And I just, if you have walked in with zero expectation, can I tell you, let's just click it to a one because my goodness, there is the God who can move mountains and is ready and eager to meet you exactly where you're at. So let me pray for you and we're going to get right into it. Jesus, I thank you that you are the ultimate healer. God, I thank you that you know where every single one of us are at today and that you are just a good dad ready to listen. And for some of us who need to stop talking and hear you, let us open our ears. Father, may you be pleased this morning. We love you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's worship, family. We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He. And together we sing. Everyone sing. Holy is the
Good morning, New Life. Good morning, New Life online. Good morning, Pastor Andy. Hallelujah. It is a blessing to be able to be here. And thank you for your faithfulness with your tithes and offerings. You know, the Word of God teaches that it's better to give than to receive. We believe that, right? All right, well, follow me with this scripture. And um, brought this case so everybody be awake. And um, here we go. It's uh, the scripture on Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. We have food in the house. 
a wonderful uh, praise team. Amen? Amen? So let's read this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in the temple. There is food. Remember that. Food in the temple. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour down a blessing so great you don't have enough room to take it in. I will build a more room for the blessings. Amen? Because they're coming. Amen? Being the son-in-law of a pastor, I learned real quick that there is, there is food in the temple, in the church. We need the food to share with the kids ministry. We need food for the youth ministry. We need food for all the ministries. We need food to pay the light bill, to pay the water bill. Amen? So as we give, we have enough food in the temple. Amen? So let's uh, pray real quick. Father, we thank you, Lord, for teaching us how your kingdom operates, how we, it's not all about us, but it's about everybody. It's how we give, it's how we receive. So, Father, thank you, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for those that are hooked up with your tithes and offering. I thank you, Father, and pray for those that are in the process, Lord. And I ask for those who haven't taken that step to take his challenge, to try him. As you continue reading at the end of the scripture, it says, try me, test me. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you help them, that they stay in faith, and they'll be able to see your promises coming to pass in their lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you all.
guys. God created the beat. It's okay. And I am standing on every promise that you made. I will see it come to pass in your name, in your name. In Jesus, I will trust every Promises never fail. Come on, turn somebody say his promises never fail. Would you close your eyes? Often, actually most of the time, when God promises something, he asks something. He says, if you do this, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this, and I expect you to do that. I want you to... Right now, I mean, Kayla is playing so nicely. Amen? I want you to just, if you can focus right now and ask God, what do you want me to do? God, what are you asking me to do? In this season, in this moment of my life, maybe I'm in a pit and life has never been harder. Maybe I'm on the peak and life has never been better. Maybe somewhere in between. God, what are you asking me to do in this season?
Lord, I ask in this season of life, Lord, that you would make it abundantly clear what you are asking us to do. Lord, and we are relying on you to keep your promise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you turn to somebody and give them a smile? And not like a fake church smile. Come on, I know that smile. It's just thin. It's real thin, right? The eyes don't crow up, but I want, that's right, a big smile. I want people to smell your breath, okay? Come on, who brushed their teeth this morning? And who drank coffee this morning? Come on. All right, you can be seated. So thrilled that you are here and that you are smiling at the person next to you. Can I get an amen? Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about something, and, and it is called a curious kingdom. A curious kingdom. Has anybody ever heard of the phrase, curiosity killed? All right, who has a living cat at their home, all right? There we go. Curiosity killed the cat, and that is something that was told to me as a junior hire, I think as an admonition? Admonition to like, hey, chill out, Angelo. Stop asking questions and stop playing with the cat. Got it, right? Okay, but today we're talking about a curious kingdom, a curious kingdom. And uh, can we just like right off the bat be super honest and super vulnerable? You guys cool with that? You guys don't have to be vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable. Is that okay? Okay, I, I have, Anthony says yes. Anthony, we will have coffee later and I'll be vulnerable. Okay. About a year ago, I radically shifted. Um, I left my home church uh, that has, had been my home church my entire life, um, and I started coming to New Life. M- made a sh- Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Um, somebody likes me here. And I want to put it into perspective in that I have, before coming to New Life about a year ago, I have never gone to church on a Sunday morning to a different church than my hometown church in Clatsop County. Before this church, every Sunday that I ever spent in Clatsop County was at my old church, okay? Anybody, anybody have something like that where maybe, you know, just like a huge part of your life and then you make a shift, Right? And when you make a shift that is that big and it is that huge, sometimes you don't know what you're doing. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of double guessing, right? Am I, am I, was I stupid for that? Did I make the wrong choice? Am I the only person who has ever thought, wow, did I just make a really bad decision? Anybody? And so there's a lot, a lot of double guessing, a lot of like, what is going on? What did I do? A lot of turmoil, a lot of that stuff. And typically as Christians, we say, oh, just open up the Bible and everything will be clear. (laughs) And sometimes that just doesn't work out for most of us, right? You open up the Bible and you're just like more lost. Am I the only person? And I do this for a living, okay? And I decided, because because just being honest 
with the people here. And online, I guess it's recorded. That's awesome. Cool. So we can watch this again. I don't want to read my Bible. I, didn't, I don't want to read what Paul had to, set up, to say about the church. I didn't want... I don't want to get into all the doctrines. I didn't want to get into the, all the stuff that comes with reading the Bible as a pastor. And I decided, you know what? I'm not going to completely turn away from the faith. Such an encouraging crowd. Wow. Um, and I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read in Proverbs. I'm just going to go to Proverbs because I can tell you what, across the board, atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Christians, Catholics, the other people, we all have one thing in common, and it is best summed up by Dwight Schrute, who worked at Dunder Mifflin. I ask myself when I'm about to do something, would an idiot do that? And if the answer is yes... I do not do that thing. So when you read Proverbs, it is helping you to not be an idiot. Come on. Am I, anybody else struggle with this a little bit? All right, so we're going to super simple this morning. Everybody cool with super simple? We are going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about curiosity. All right, and I might throw in a couple jokes. So. That's, we're going to keep the expectations low. One of my favorite, one of my, such an encouraging crowd. Pastor Andy, you are missing out. They are alive today. One of my favorite, favorite quotes from a pastor is that God keeps the cookies on the bottom shelf. The good stuff is easy to grasp. The easy stuff is right there. We all have access to the super most important stuff that God has for us. Amen? Okay, here we go. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, verse 2. We're in the New Living Translation. All right? Proverbs 25, in verse 2, and it says this. It is God's privilege to conceal things. Thank you. Thank you, God, so much. Can we all just say, thank you, Jesus, for hiding all the important things. And it is the king's privilege to discover them. Well, good for him. Good for him. Right? This is one of my favorite, favorite Proverbs of all time. Because it talks about the character of God. It is God's privilege he is entitled. I mean, he made this place. I guess he can play around with it, right? It is his privilege. He is entitled to take the things that are important and go place them out in the field like an Easter egg hunt. He hides things. It's his privilege. It's who he is. He loves it. Do we have any moms or dads or aunts or uncles or grandmas or grandpas who love hiding the eggs on Easter? Come on, right? It's so much fun. You're like, ooh, this is a good spot. They're never going to find it, <laughs> right? That's because you want that Reese's peanut butter cup and that egg. We know. We know. 
It is God's privilege. It is one of the things, if you read through the scriptures, through this lens, and just, wow, God is just hiding things. He's putting little Easter eggs throughout. He's putting Easter eggs out on, on the trails. He's putting it on the bay. He's putting it in my family. God is concealing these amazing, wonderful truths for me to find. But sometimes we read this and we say, well, not for me, for the king. It's the king's privilege to play this game. But Jesus. Come on, but Jesus. But Jesus came so that you and I could have the opportunity to be called a child of God. You have the opportunity to be a royal in God's kingdom. In God's curious kingdom. It is the king's privilege to discover them being the things that God has concealed. God is playing a game with you. God is playing a game with me. And it is his right to hide the things that he created. All of these incredible truths. All of these incredible pockets of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness. And he parents with me. Ugh, gentleness, I gotta go find that. And self-control, kids, can I get an amen? Teenagers, self-control, not other control, all right? It is our privilege. It is our privilege. You are entitled to this. We don't, we don't typically like that word, entitled, but let's just talk about that word for a second. I am entitled to my pickup truck because I hold the title. It's my truck until I send it to the scrapyard. <laughs> Rest in peace, little truck. You are entitled. You are holding the title to this game to play. You got a ticket to ride. Come on, you have a golden ticket. Come on. I mean, do I have to say it? I got a golden ticket. Come on. You are holding the title to this game with God. But how many of us, I'm going to back up. How many of us don't feel like we're playing a game? How many of us feel like we're in a battle? How many of us feel like we're in a battle with our mortgage? We're in a battle in our marriage. We're in a battle with our kids. We're in a battle with ourselves. We're in a battle with God. And God's like, why did you show up to this game ready to fight? Maybe just maybe we're playing this game all wrong, right? How many people, and this is for the married people, you're having a great day, allegedly, okay? <laughs> and things are going well. And, and your spouse comes home, and you're, you've been looking forward to seeing them all day, right? I mean, you've been working, you've been toiling, you've been doing all the things, and it has not gone poorly so far. And things are great. And you are looking forward to just, ah, oh, that person, your person, right? And they come in, and you're like, ah, oh, 
How are you doing? And you don't get that same response from them. And they show up maybe less eager to see you. Right? And they are rearing for a fight. And, they, and you're just like, whoa. Perhaps something else is going on here. Right? Maybe you are upset about something else. And you are taking it out on me. I wonder if God ever feels like that. I wonder if God ever feels like, gosh, I mean, I already did all the hard work. I made the universe. I placed the Easter eggs. I sent my son. Died on the cross. I created this opportunity for them to be called children of God. I had Paul write all of those confusing letters. I was just thinking about John in John, and I'm like, that first, like, preamble is so confusing. Like, just say it's Jesus. Why are there, like, three different words for him? Maybe, just maybe, we're doing this following Jesus thing just a little bit wrong. Maybe it's supposed to be more fun. Did anybody get greeted by Bruce and Dana Holt this morning? What fun! Come on, a spark of life. So, all right, Angelo, great. I'm supposed to be having fun. We're all having fun now. <laughs> Yay. We're all having fun. Good. Are we asking questions? Are we looking? Are we looking for questions? Are we actually, like, coming up with questions for God? Are we asking good questions? All right? I'm going to go, we're going to start in um, John. Actually, that's false. That was a lie. No, that is right, John. We're going to start in John 1. Yes, John 1. Tristan, can you put up the right slide? Tell me what to do, son. That's right. That looks right. Okay, here we go. I want to just say that I am so proud of my son, Tristan Maximus Showerman. He is just the best. Come on. I'm excited for the young man that he is becoming. Um, but back to the text. John, or first, John 1 in verse 35, Okay. This is Jesus and his disciples. What does it mean to be a devoted apprentice of Jesus? I am going to throw it out there. I think it means to be curious. I think it means to ask questions. I think it means to humble yourself and think that maybe there is more to learn from this man named Jesus. Verse 35, the following day, John was again standing up with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look! There's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Good for nothing disciples. <laughs> Didn't Pastor Andy talk last week about cowards, yellow backstabbing weasels? <laughs> right? Like, oh, look, look at that. Wait, where are you guys going? John has been deserted. Um, 
Verse 37, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? Right? Have any moms ever walked out of a room? What do you want? I just heard a story about a mom who locks herself in a room. And, and the husband says, I feel like she doesn't like me. But the reality is that she's probably trying to get away from her children who just won't leave her alone. Jesus looks around, saw them following, and he says, what do you want? He asked them. What do you want from Jesus? Have you thought about that question? Has that question crossed your mind during your prayer time? While you're reading the scripture, do you know what you want from God? They knew, and they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That's what you want? Those disciples wanted to be close to Jesus. Those disciples knew what they wanted. They wanted the opportunity to be called children of God. Those guys wanted to be close to what God was doing. Those guys saw and loved God, and they were like, all right, this is the next step. Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the, the, the prophesied one. He's the one that is going to move me closer to God. And he, he says, what do you want? Where are you staying, they asked. And he said, come and see. Can I say something? God is, Jesus is not scared of your curiosity. Jesus is not scared of your questions. Jesus is not scared of your angry rants in your journal. Seriously. He just wants a question in there. Like, are you just yelling at me to yell at me? Or is there a question in there? Right? Come and see, he said. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Devoted apprentices of Jesus are with Jesus. We are close to Jesus. We are constantly, our main focus is to be with Jesus. Where is he? What is he doing? That's where I want to be. That's what I want to be doing. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John had said, then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And it's easier to say. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and saw him, come and follow me. Philip was, was from Bethsaida and Andrew and Peter's hometown, okay? So you, picking up this, we've got people who all kind of have, you know, they're from the same town. Maybe they go to the same synagogue. And all of these guys are looking for Jesus. They are looking for the Messiah. They are looking to be close to God. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew, and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Verse 46. 
Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Napa? Maybe I need glasses. Can anything good come from Seaside? Can anything good come from Portland? Can anything good come from Salem? Can anything good come from Washington, D.C.? Do you hear the contempt in his question? Can anything good come from there? I've seen all I need to see. I know everything I need to know. Immediately no. How quick are we to say, nope, God didn't hide something good for me over there. How, how quickly do we say, absolutely not, immediately no, that is not the Lord's will for my life. That is not what God wants for me. He says, can anything good, can anything good come from fill in the blank? Smug, arrogant, proud questions are not what we're talking about. When I come in with all of my own big knowledge, right? My highfalutin ideas. That is not what we're talking about when we talk about a curious kingdom. We're talking about humility. We're talking about wanting to be close to God. We're not talking about how cool we are, how much we know, and what we have decided in our own little kingdom, what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, and what God has for us. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Verse 48, Nathaniel says, how do you know about me? You don't know me. Is it coming across Nathaniel's arrogance? Nathaniel knows what it means to be a child of God. Nathaniel knows how to smile correctly at church. Nathaniel knows how to tactfully and passive aggressively comment on Facebook and Instagram. Come on. You don't know me. Can you imagine just for a second the guy that created the universe, okay, shows up and your dude says, you don't know me. Have your kids ever said something like that to you before? So a, a father told me the other day, I made you, okay, I can get rid of you. <laughs> like, don't come at me with all that. And I just have to say that Jesus loves his arrogant children just as much as he loves his humble ones. Jesus, I'm going to say that again. Jesus loves his arrogant children just as much as he loves his humble ones. Life is harder for the arrogant ones. We have a child that will not be named. And we just realized, you know what? This child 
is going to learn things the hard way. Right? Sometimes you just got to get out in the world and learn for yourself. Right? Isn't it interesting that Jesus is not short with Nathaniel? Jesus is not brutal with Nathaniel. But he says this. Nathaniel in verse 48. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. I know you. I know you. Not only do I know you, but I know what God has for you. And he has good things for you, Nathaniel. Come and see. Come hang out with me. I want to just tell you right now, God is saying, come hang out with me. God is dying to hang out with you. God wants to hang out with you so bad. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Ta-da, I get it. Right? The king of Israel. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And Nathaniel changed his tune. There's something about interacting with Jesus. There's something about interacting with the Holy Spirit. There's something about interacting with the scriptures that just softens your heart. And it turns, and you're just like, ah, maybe God does love me. Maybe there are good things for me. Maybe I'm going through the worst time of my life. But maybe, just maybe, God has something for me. And the question is, what is it? And the question is, will we slow down, calm down, stop? Well, okay, I, in context, stop adulting and be a little bit more childlike and engage in a fun game with our Heavenly Father of curiosity. What does God have for me? Would you turn to Luke 17, and we're going to end here. Wow, we're whipping through this. Who's excited to get out of church early? I'm just kidding. This is going to take 45 minutes. All right. Now that I know this, there will be more jokes. Okay. Luke 17. I appreciate that laugh. Thank you. Luke 17, verse 5. The disciples said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Anybody ever felt like you didn't have enough faith for the situation that you're in? Anybody ever feel like maybe you're leaning on yourself maybe a little bit too hard? And maybe, just maybe, there's a sovereign God who knows what he's doing and has the power to fix things that you could lean on, you could trust, that you could go to. The apostles had found Jesus. Jesus had been doing some pretty cool miracles and was basically subtly flexing and saying, I have the power to do whatever I want. Walking on water, making bread without baking it. Can I get an amen from the bakers? I would love for my cheesecake to magically appear. But we're not there yet. Um, I have to teach my kids how to make it, and then we will be. <laughs> the apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Another way to say it is, hey, how do we increase our faith? How do we stop leaning on our own understanding? How do we stop 
relying on this brain of ours? How do we stop relying on the way that we were raised, the country that we grew up in? How do we stop, how do we start moving away from that and become more kingdom focused? How do we increase our faith? And Jesus says something, and you're probably, if you spend any amount of time in church, you've probably heard this. The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea and it would obey you. And most of us say, cool, so I'm not going to get that. I'm going to move to Proverbs. <laughs> Never seen a mulberry bush. And the mustard I know about comes from Heinz. And pastors talk about how little mustard seeds are. And it doesn't matter. Right? Because most of us have not said to a tree, be thrown into the Young's Bay. Because we don't have any use for that. We don't have any use for that. What do we have use for? Living with three kids, three dogs, a beautiful woman, and not killing anybody. <laughs> Can I get an amen from people who have more than one child? Amen. That's what I have use for. I have use for mental health, clearly. Right? I have use for making more money than I currently make. Anybody? I have use for a lower interest rate. Anybody? I have use... Too soon? For a pickup. Let us grieve. For me. It is a sad day when a man loses his pickup. But I have never in my life thought, gosh, I wish... I wish I had some mustard seeds, and I wish I could throw that tree in the water. <laughs> Never. Has anybody ever, a show of hands, we'll start over here. Yes, we've got one who hates trees <laughs> that the Lord made, Michael. Thank God, Jesus didn't stop there. But because we're not playing a game, we do stop there. We say, all right, mustard seed, got it. Write that down in my journal. Make sure I keep a note of that. The apostles asked the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. That's, you got to keep that at the front of your mind. We're asking how to increase our faith. In a curious kingdom, God, how do we increase our faith? And the Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. Verse 7, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come on in and eat with me? No. He says, put your hairnet on, put your apron on, and make me food. When you're done making me the food, serve me. 
this isn't very nice. I'm going to go back to the mulberry tree. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And it gets worse. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he had told him to do? Of course not. That would be silly. Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Stop. Period. I've just answered your question. So you're going to be rude to us? And then I'm going to have more faith? I have this... I was going to say nasty habit, but it's a wonderful trait of mine where I underline things in the Bible that I have no idea what they mean. And we make a note and we'll come back around. I do, sister. That's why we're here. What is God saying? God is painting a picture and we don't have bond servants we don't have bond slaves anymore. So let's just think about your nine to five. Does everybody enjoy a little pat on the back, a little attaboy? Sure. But do you know what your boss is thinking is a good thank you and a good attaboy? Every two weeks, they put money in your account. I heard Dave Ramsey say, the best way to say thank you is with money. And I thought... Can I work for you? <laughs> right? I want that boss. Right? I don't want him to tell me that I'm a good employee. I want him to pay me. That's why we go to work. Jesus is painting this out, and he's, he's painting this basic idea where this person works for that person, and that person tells this person what to do. No attaboys. No way to go, no employee of the month, no putting an unflattering picture up on a plaque where everyone can see it at work. None of that. The worker says, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing what I was told to do. I'm just doing what I was told to do. When it says unworthy servant there, what it's really saying is I'm nothing special. And sadly, we live in a day and age where companies actually hire praise directors. It would be funny, Joey, if it wasn't true. And their literal job is to walk around and say, oh, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Walk over to the next cubicle. Oh, man, love that report. Way to go. I can tell you are trying really hard. We are really happy you're here. 
We live in a day and age that says, I want to be recognized. I want to be praised. I want to get paid. And now we have employers who can't get people to show up and do their job. Seriously. I have this wonderful habit of asking people who own their own businesses, how's it going? Oh, are you expanding? If only I had humans that could do what I asked them to do. And I wish that I could say, oh my gosh, I'm a Christian. There's an entire tribe of us who know how to do what we're told. I wish... It is more exciting for me to learn something about the Bible and to share with you how to pronounce kephos. Ooh. Ooh, I love anybody. Don't raise your hand. This is not a good time to raise your hand. You just love coming and hearing those those sermons that are like, ah, I just had such a great aha moment. I've never seen the Greek like that before. That's because we don't speak Greek. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. That would be insane. Who would do that? This is Jesus who created the universe. Also died on the cross for our sins. Also basically did everything for us. Also loves us when we don't deserve it. Also wants to hang out with us when I'm an arrogant, smug jerk. And he's, isn't a, it's, a, it's been amazing. No matter what my attitude is, when I sit down and I pray, God's never like, yeah, I'm not hanging out with you today. Hard pass. Nope. God is always excited to see us. This is Jesus The one who's always excited to see us. The one who died for our sins. The one who raised from the dead and gives that same right to you and me and wants to hang out with us. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he's told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Kayla, can you come on up? And play. What simple thing is God asking you to do? I have stopped reading books in their entirety. Because if I'm being honest, I get to like chapter two and it says you should do X, Y, and Z. Well, I'm not doing that. So maybe I should do the stuff in chapter two before I go to chapter three. Maybe I need to metabolize some of this knowledge about who God is, and I need to do something. The most mature, Christ-like people I know do. Way more than they talk. They do way more than they talk. They do way more than they talk. What simple 
thing is God asking you to do? I read this really cool phrase in a book this week talking about the seasons. And it says, ah, there's the seasons. There's summer and winter. And planting and harvesting. And I thought that was interesting. I've never heard it said that way. There are these polar opposites. And then we have these transitional seasons. Right? Summertime. In Clatsop County, we enjoy it from August 1st to August 29th. (laughs) And there has never been a more beautiful place on the earth than that month right here. Can I get an amen? And then we have the winter time that this year decided to run into May. (laughs) And then we have these transitional periods. We have these transitional periods where if you sit on your butt, you're going to miss out. If you don't plant during planting time, you're not going to harvest during harvest time. Period. What simple thing is God asking you to do in this season? You might be in the heat of the summer. Life has never been hotter and scarier and terrifying than right now. Think about people in California with no water what summertime is like. Think about crossing a desert with no water in the middle of summer. Before we had AC, that was a death sentence. Think about wintertime. Gosh, I love to hibernate. Gosh, I love it. I just one of my favorite people told me, you know, we, we exercise in the spring and in the summertime and in the fall. And then we hibernate like bears, and we eat, and we sleep. And I thought, I need to spend more time with you. Put on a couple pounds, insulate. We'll burn it off in the summertime. Some of us are living wildly comfortable, amazing lives right now. You're living literally the best days of your life. And, and, and I want to say right now, there is no shame. that You should not feel bad about that. Good for you. Being happy is okay for people who follow Jesus. The most important thing is for us to do what God is asking us to do. And oftentimes we overcomplicate it and we try and throw in doctrine and we try and throw in these high ideas and we say, all right, well, let's, I don't know what to do. I'm going to read Romans. Don't do that. Don't do that. Gosh, I don't know what to do. I'm going to make a huge life choice. Don't do that. Consult God's word. 
hit your knees or your couch, however you pray. Ask the Holy Spirit. This is the next, the next wild idea. Call Pastor Andy and say, hey, I've got this huge life choice. What do you think? Don't call me. You're going to get jokes, but maybe not a lot of helpful stuff. <laughs> I kid. I kid. Ask your parents. At the very worst, they can serve as a bad example. Mean honest. Sometimes as elders, sometimes as elders, you don't think that you've lived a good enough, right enough, perfect enough life to help anybody. Yes, you have. You are like one of my children and you have learned the hard way. Help someone else learn the easy way. Come on. When was the last time you asked somebody who was mature what you should do in a situation or what they would do in a situation? We act like we're in the fight of our lives, not in a game with God. Now it's going to get real interesting. So in this season of life, you're a single mom. You're trying to make ends meet. What simple thing is God asking you to do? You have three kids, three dogs, and a beautiful wife. What is God asking you to do? You're retired. You're living your best life. What simple thing is God asking you to do? You're a student. And you don't like your teachers. And you are so close to summer. So close. What is God asking you to do? You're a teacher. And you are so close to summer. What is God asking you to do? What simple thing is God asking you to do? Do it. Following Jesus is not complicated. It is very hard. Following Jesus is not complicated. It is very hard. Because I want to do what I want to do. Because I, in my own mind, I am so smart, I can Google it. But God created me. God died for me. God sent his Holy Spirit to speak life into me and fill me with strength from heaven. What does he want me to do? Because the Bible says that he has enough grace for you to do what he has asked you to do. He has enough strength to fill you to do the thing that he has asked you to do. Are we curious enough? Bow your heads. Close your eyes while the ushers discreetly sneak up and find the communion. I am so grateful that Jesus did what God asked him to do. I am so grateful that Jesus did what God asked him to do. I think it is hilarious that Jesus asked the Father a second time, was like, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Okay. 
but are you sure that you want me to do this? Okay, I will do what you asked me to do. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning, I ask tonight, I ask tomorrow morning, I ask this next week that you would teach us to be curious. You would teach us to ask questions and to obey. Give us the grace to obey, just like Jesus did. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to be close to you. We want to do the things that you did. Amen. All right. Do you guys want to distribute? How are we doing this? Everybody get up and find some communion. Would you stand up as we remember what Jesus did for us? I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. It says, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks thanks to God for it. Lord, we thank you for this bread. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's remember the Lord and take the bread.
Lord, we remember that you simply did what you were asked to do. And we thank you for breaking your body. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Let's drink. Jesus, we thank you that you signed that agreement with your own blood. God, an agreement that said that anybody who believed in Jesus had the opportunity to become children of God. Jesus, we thank you that you did what God asked you to do. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord, this morning as we go out, let us remember your example and help us to follow it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you are amazing. You're wonderful. Next week we have Pastor Mark preaching. Come on. We're waiting for the timestamp online. We want a lot of likes for that, a lot of hearts, okay? Uh, we'll see you guys next week.